Isaiah 54, verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tents. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. I think we're going to use this verse next month as well. We're going to call it stretch. How about that? I'm not kidding. Just stay here all year. We'll call the next one of. (laughs) Matthew chapter 14. Here's how this is going to play out today. Some of you, this might be familiar territory. Others of you, this may be uh, the first time you've heard this, but it's a great story either way. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get out of, get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. How else would you expect him to get there? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I love that about Peter. He's not like, Lord, if it's you, get in the boat. He's like, Lord, if it's you, let me come out there. Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, this word has the power to change our lives today. It has the power to strengthen us, to increase our faith. And I pray, Lord, that you do that in our time together. Transform our lives by your word. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen, amen and Amen. All right, you may be seated. I want to give you a little backstory on this because so oftentimes we read scripture, we just read a portion of scripture, we don't understand what happened before it, and it does play into people's mentality. You didn't just wake up this morning, come to church in an isolated incident. There was conversations you had before you got here. Some of them good, some of them not. You might have been in an argument before you came into the church. Don't look. And that affects the way you came in. Well, the same way in Scripture. These are people's real lives, and they have things that are happening before and after the event that we read. And oftentimes we read the event in isolation, and we just and we try to get a handle on it in isolation. That's really not the way your life works out. So if you back up a little bit, what happened is you find out that John the Baptist, the guy that was announcing Jesus was coming, he baptized Jesus. It was... It was He was the one that that said, man, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to to do this. He he didn't even want to baptize Jesus. He was like, man, I'm I'm not the guy for this. But he was preaching a message of repentance and prepare. So Jesus was obviously fond of him, and he finds out that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. So as you can imagine, 
Jesus wasn't a cold-hearted, calloused person on the earth. It says he had compassion everywhere he went. And so you can imagine uh, the news to him and the disciples that John the Baptist was beheaded. It's probably not, uh, probably not a day of smiling and laughter. It was probably a day of mourning. So the Bible says that, that when he finds out that he takes the disciples and goes off to a solitary place on the other side of the lake. Now this is recorded in three of the four gospel stories. Now, oftentimes what happens is we take one, one accounting of it, like Matthew's accounting of it, and we just base everything on that. But, but in order to get the whole picture, it's like taking multiple witnesses of the same account. If you get in an accident, you're going to have your story, the person that hits you, their story. It's always their fault, by the way, right? And then you're going to have four witnesses' stories. Well, the Gospels are kind of the same way, that they were four different accounts of the same events, but they were, they were viewed in, in different aspects. Uh, they were, the, the gospels were written to different groups of people. And so, and so one person saw it one way and another person saw it from this angle and they, and they fill in the details for each other a lot of times. In the other two accounts of this, it does not, they do not record that Jesus act or Peter walked on water. Matthew was the only one that recorded that. So what you find when you put them all together is that John the Baptist had been beheaded that Jesus and the disciples were going to a far place, a place of solitude. You can imagine why. And that they traveled to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and then all of a sudden, this thing happens where people followed him. Now, Jesus had been healing people, and so how many of you know when you run around healing people, people follow you? That's typically the way. You run around with a pocket full of money, you're going to have friends all the time. So Jesus had been healing people, he tries to get to a place of solitude, but people follow him. Isn't it ironic that people were always following Jesus when he was healing them, but they were running away from him when he was suffering? That's the story of our lives sometimes, isn't it? When everything's going right, everybody wants to be around us. As soon as the suffering starts, everybody, nobody can be found. Hey, stick with the people who will stick with you during suffering. Those are the people you can count on. When, when, all, when the time gets tough and they're still standing by you, you know they don't want your money. You're like, I'm going to have to tell my uncle about that one. So they get across, everybody follows them. Jesus, the Bible says, healed everyone. And Mark actually records that he was actually teaching them as well. So you see, all these people follow them to the other side of the lake. He heals them, teaches them. And then there's an issue of feeding them. It's getting kind of late. They're not sure nobody's eaten. They're not sure what to do. And it's recorded that Jesus asked Philip, hey, basically, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? Where can we get food for all the people to eat? Now, the funny thing is that they say this was a test because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So he's looking at Philip. He's like, hey, where are we going to get food for everybody to eat? And Philip's like, man, take a lot of money to feed all these people. The Bible records that there was 5,000 men, not including women and children. And nobody had one kid back then. So there's a lot of people there. Well, obviously, the, the intelligent question would be, well, where are we going to get all the food? So Andrew, Peter's brother, chimes in and says, here's a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. 
Now, could you imagine the disciples standing there? Andrew comes up. He's like, man, I got the solution. Here's five loaves of bread and two fish. One, five, one, five bread, two fish. Dude, that's enough for us. There's 5,000 men out there. So, so they're like, uh, thanks, Andrew, but that doesn't help. So Jesus looks at him and says, hey, bust everybody up in groups of hundred, hundreds and fifties. And then it's important to realize that the disciples are the ones who he had go out and disperse the food. Because after this, when we encounter Peter walking on water, it says that the Bible says that their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand what was happening. Can I, can I pitch this to you? God could be doing a miracle in your life right now, but because of your perspective of it, it never looks like it. It says their hearts were hard and they didn't understand. The same guys who distributed five loaves of bread and two fish and then returned and picked up 12 baskets after everyone the Bible said had eaten all that they wanted to eat. All that they wanted to eat and they picked up more than they put, passed out. I'm reminded when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he will supply all of your needs in abundance so that you can be generous on every occasion. He said, I'll supply everything you need in abundance. I'll supply all of it, actually more than you need. So, that there can, so, so what happens is it doesn't look like enough at the beginning. God multiplies it to be more than enough. The disciples pass it out, collect the leftovers, which was more than what they started with, and the Bible says they still don't get it. Still is not clicking. So then, then what happens is this. We pick up in Matthew chapter 14, and it says he, he immediately told them to get in the boat. And I started thinking, why, why so quick? Like Jesus is like, party's over, let's go. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and, and you kind of get this idea of a rushed Jesus. Immediately he tells them to get in the boat. I'm like, wouldn't you want to sit around and be like, dude, 12 baskets. But what you find out is, is that the crowd had decided that they were going to take Jesus and make him king by force. Oh. So Jesus is like, hey, you guys need to roll out. I'm going to dismiss all these people, and then I'm leaving. So the disciples get in the boat. The boat was their mode of transportation. They were fishermen. They knew about the boat. They knew how to work the boat. They've done this, they've done this a hundred times. It's not a big deal. It's, it's what they do every day. They're out on the boat. So Jesus puts them on the boat. Row, row, row your boat. I can imagine they're sitting there like, dude, what just happened? He was healing everybody. Did we pick up 12 baskets? How many did that kid have? Oh, he had more than five loaves of bread. No, five loaves? That was crazy. And then the Bible says that they made it about halfway across and the wind and the waves began to buffet the boat. That's an important thing to notice here that I'm going to step out on a limb and say that this was not the first time these guys had been out on the lake and had the wind and waves buffet them before. Anybody ever been out on the ocean? multiple times, one day it can be flat as glass, the next day you're puking over the side, right? It's what happens when you get on the water. One, sooner or later, there's going to be a storm. Sooner or later, it's going to be rough. And this was not a new 
This was not a new trip for them. So they're just rowing. Jesus, the Bible says, went up on the side of a mountain and he can see them through his super magnified Jesus eyes. <laughs> I just asked myself that question. I was like, how do you see that far? Oh, he's Jesus. <laughs> Said they rode a couple miles. You can't get too far where he can't see you. You thought he walked away, he's still watching. You thought he sent you on a lone journey and he's still up on the mountain mountain, on his perch watching everything that happens to you. And so he sees them. He sees the winds and the waves buffeting them. And he decides, I'm going to go down and give him some help. So he goes and he doesn't get a boat. He does it the express way. Just starts walking on the water. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, Matthew is the only one that actually records Peter walking on the water with Jesus. So we pick it up, Matthew chapter 14. Immediately tells him to leave. He goes up on the side of the mountain. He's looking down at him. He sees him. He decides to go to him. He's walking on the water. Gets up to the boat, and they almost panic. They think, this is a okay. Now, I know crazy things happen in the Bible. You read it. But walking on water was not a common occurrence. Now, I know you've seen on the TV the little lizard that walks across the water. I've never seen a human being do that except in the karate movies. And it's not real. So what happens is they see him walking on the water, and it totally freaks. It says they were terrified. Now, think about this. Jesus is walking up close enough to them on to the boat for them to, to see a person actually standing on the water, and they're terrified. They get up close. He gets up close enough to the boat, and Peter goes, oh, okay. Jesus says, calm down, it's me. Calm down, it's me. And Peter's like, if it's you, tell me to come out. Now again, just through Chris's little peanut brain, I'm going, that wouldn't have been what I said. <laughs> I'd have been like, what are you doing out there? Get in the boat. But I wonder if God could strengthen us enough to have the faith to ask. See, we always differentiate Peter by the fact that he walked on water. He was the only one that asked the question. He was the only one that even inquired of Jesus, if this is you, call me out. Let me come out. And so oftentimes we get, we get bombarded with life and it pushes on us and pushes on us. And, we, and Jesus could be standing on the water beside the boat and we're like, ah, there's no chance. Peter had enough faith in the moment to say, hey, if it's you, let me come out. And you might call it impetuous. You might call it showing off. You might call it whatever. Jesus said, come on out. And so here's what I, I want to tell you this morning. If Jesus says, come on out, then it's not impetuous. It's not, it's not foolhardy. If he says, hey, it is me, come on out, then it was a good question. So, so often we're trying to evaluate the question before we even ask, oh, well, should I ask to come out? Should I shouldn't ask to come out? You know, is that, is that dumb faith? Am I just being silly? Or no, no, no. If it's you, Lord, bid me come. And Jesus says, yeah, come on out. Now the fun part happens. Lord, I've prayed. I think this is you calling me. I think this is you calling me. Come on, a lot of you have been in this circumstance before where, you, where there's an opportunity, there's something that's happened, and you're praying, God, I think this is you calling me. I think this is you calling me. And, and, and I feel like you're saying step out. 
feel like you're saying step out. So watch this. Then our next interpretation of the events is that you need to do a cannonball into the water. That's how we do it. Like, well, I'm not giving $5 away, man. I'll give 10000 right? We always think it's got to be this massive leap. Now, where do we think they The leap of faith. Only it doesn't say Peter jumped out of the boat. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he jumped. It says he let himself down out of the boat. So anytime that we bump up against something, we think, man, all or nothing. All or, you got to go all in. Just calm down a little bit. Because faith actually happens like this. One step, then another step, then another step, then another, right? Because think about it. If Jesus was walking on the water, he had done something to water to make it hard so he could walk on it. What if Peter had a swan dived into that? You think it's got to be all or nothing. Jesus is saying, just take a step. You think... Uh, it's got to be all or nothing. If I can't do all of it, I'm not going to do any of it. And he's saying, just take a step towards me. Just take a step to just have enough faith to ask a question. Have enough faith to let yourself down out of the boat. One foot at a time. I kind of imagine it would be like this. How would you get out of a boat? I would get out of it like this. Oh. 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 I got a bad hip, Jesus, so this is going to take a little longer to get this one over. But here we go. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> That's how we experience life, isn't it? I think he's calling me. I think he's calling me. Okay. Oh, I didn't sink. Okay, I didn't sink. I'll try it. Hebrews says it's the confidence of things we hope for, the evidence of things we can't see. How are you going to find that out? I had enough faith to put my first foot down. There we go. Hey, he wasn't joking. I'm looking at him right now. He's not, he's still smiling. And I can put all my weight on it now to get my other foot over. And now both feet. <laughs> Come on, Peter was a human. He wasn't divine. It was one step at a time. He's looking at Jesus. And he's like, <laughs> it's like a baby. Their first couple steps, you're like, go redo it, blah, 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 blah. Right? It's like, okay, I got this. Yeah, Lord. All right. Two steps, two steps, three steps. It's the confidence of things we hope for. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, Lord, I'm hoping. Hoping it's going to hold me. Oh, it did. It's the evidence of things we can't see. I have no idea how this works. You see, Peter didn't have to understand how it works, and neither do you. It's just one step. And then the confidence comes because the thing I was hoping worked now is working, so now I'm operating in faith. It doesn't have to look like a cannonball. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like that. Because here's what I find out. People that try to use cannonball faith often don't come back up out of the water. Because he didn't ask, Peter didn't ask to jump in the water, he asked to walk on it. And so oftentimes you see people like, boom, all in, rah! And it's this reckless, they don't even know what's going on. They're not actually praying to God, they're just trying to make a splash. So this big jump, 
when I'd much rather have somebody that was just like, you know what? I can have faith for today, faith for tomorrow. I'm still going forward. I'm still stepping out of the boat every day. I'm still making it. Now, here's what I find out. So James talks about that faith without works isn't faith at all. Just a translation. Sitting in the boat saying you believe you can walk on water is not faith. Putting a leg out of the boat and stepping on the water is faith. So if, this, if the grace that saved you doesn't produce faith to step out of the boat, James is saying it's probably not real. And so Jesus didn't save us to sit in a church and say, we believe you can walk on the water. We believe you can save people, Lord. We believe you can reach the nations. We believe you can heal the sick. We believe all these things. If we don't actually go out and put a foot down, if we don't actually say, I believe this, and therefore I'm going to step towards it. Because the only one that actually practiced faith in that moment was Peter. Everybody else had their hands on the oars. Going, dude, he's going to sink. So James says that whole faith working itself out is proof that you're in a relationship with Jesus. It's just proof. You step one more time, one more time. Now, here's the problem. Have any of you ever got in the middle of something that you thought God called you to do and found out that it was like, oh? Here's a little thing we overlook. The faith that gets you out of the boat may not be enough faith to get you to Jesus. So what we do is we pray really, 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 really hard at the beginning. We pray really hard at the beginning, really hard. Lord, I need to know this is you. I need to know this is you. I need to know this is you. We're like getting you. Put the fleece out, put the fleece out, put the fleece out. Lord, I need to know this is you. If this is you, tell the person that I haven't talked to in 10 years to call me up on the phone and give me all kinds of compliments, tell me I'm great. And we do stuff like that, right? Make my boss give me a raise, make all this happen. Lord, if it's you, if it's you, and we will pray really hard, really hard. And then the first event happens and we go, I got this. Man, this is, I'm, I'm practically an expert at walking on the water. And so what we do is we let off in the middle, and then the winds and the waves come, right? Which they will. It's called the water. And when the wind blows, the waves get up. So what happens is we get in the middle of it, and we realize that the middle is more difficult than getting out. Uh, If you'd only told me that at the beginning. It only told me that at the beginning, that the middle could be more difficult than me stepping out. That the stepping out part was like, oh, it was all new. It was all fun. It was all, oh, man, this is great. Oh, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm out in the middle, and it's not fun anymore. Look at your neighbor and tell them something honest right now. Say, in the middle, it's oftentimes not fun. Go ahead, tell them. Encourage them with that. Because, because we get the trippy idea that our whole journey of faith should be this, like, fireworks. And look at me, I just stepped out of the boat and everybody's applauding. Here's the thing. I bet you there were times on Peter's journey across that the disciples were looking at each other going, dude, he screwed up big time there. Took a couple steps, sunk like a rock. Now watch. I've got a theory about something here. As long as I'm in the boat, I'm in control, right? I'm familiar. I, I, can, I can do the oar thing. I don't even know if this is what it looks like. I can, I can, I can, 
I've been here before. I know how to do this. We can turn the boat, stick it into the wind. We can just muscle it through. And, and I'm, I'm comfortable here. I'm in control. I can, I can just make it. And now all of a sudden, I'm out of the boat, and I have no control. So watch this. Isn't it ironic that the Bible never records them being afraid of the wind and the waves while they're in the boat? It doesn't say that. It, does, it just said it was buffeting the boat. Just said it was being, it was more difficult to row. It didn't say they were terrified until Jesus came up. So there was no, there was, they weren't scared of the wind of the waves. Peter didn't become scared of the wind of the waves until he was out of control. So now he's on something that he can't control. He has no idea how it's happening. He's standing on the water. He's like, dude, I'm standing on the water. I'm standing on the water. But I don't know how it's happening. I can't control it. I can't manipulate it. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do any tricks yet. I can't do, I don't know what's happening. And now he looks around and the same thing that didn't scare him five minutes ago now terrifies him. Because you're out of control. It looks like this. Let me put a practical terms for our church. Mark mentioned that we were doing the capital campaign, right? So here's what they do. Lord, do you want me to give to this thing? Like last March, Lord, you want me to give to this thing? Lord, is this what you want me to do? You, you know my financial situation, Lord, it's not that great. And, and, uh, but I'm willing, I'm willing to give up a cup of coffee a day. I'm willing to give up two cups. I'm willing to give up 10 cups of coffee. You guys drink too much coffee. 10 cups of coffee a day. And I'm going to give to the capital campaign. Man, oh man, I'm so excited about it. Lord, if this is you, first month. It is you. It is you. Lord, if this is you, yeah. And then six months in, my truck motor blows up. Lord, is it? Oh. I didn't. Before, I had enough money because I wasn't giving it away. See, I was in control. But now I put myself in a position <laughs> where I'm not in control anymore. Because the money I would have used to fix the truck motor is now at the church. I ain't going back there. Mm, now I'm out of control. The same thing that would have never scared me before I was generous is now terrifying me. <laughs> I had plenty of money in the bank, and now I've done something dumb with it. Listen, your truck motor was going to blow up whether you gave that money away or not. You didn't change the oil in it. <laughs> Ain't got nothing to do with God or the devil. Don't go blaming the devil. You didn't maintenance your vehicle. That's why it blew up. It didn't have nothing to do with you being generous. But see how we twist it? All of a sudden, the devil's after us or it didn't work. No, change your oil. Stop blaming it on God and the devil. Here's what, so we're out there. The same faith that got me on the boat, got me out of the boat, is now wavering a little bit because I'm not in control. Craig Groeschel, he's a pastor of the largest church, I think, in North America now. He says, you can either have growth or control, but you can't have both. Tell your kids to stop growing one time. Tell them, that's the last pair of jeans I'm buying for you. Forget it. You're not, you can't grow anymore. Kid wearing it, coming to school with their jeans out their calf. Ain't even cool anymore. You can't have both things. You can't control God and grow in God. 
You can't control the Holy Spirit and know him more. You can't say only on these days and only on this. No, God is not a God to be controlled. He's saying, step out and trust me. It's not about control anymore. It's about faith. It's about the confidence of things that we hope for and the evidence of the things we can't see. And so what happens is Peter gets out there in the middle and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't think it was going to be this rocky. I didn't think it was the waves are going to be this rough. I didn't think the wind was going to blow this hard. And we always underestimate the journey because we're so excited about stepping out of the boat. So that faith that gets you out of the boat needs to be strengthened to make it to Jesus. Come on, can we be honest? The amount of faith that you accepted Christ with the first time is not enough to forgive your spouse the hundredth time. I'm just being real. Because you can be saved and mad at your wife or husband for months. Ah, oh, just walked right into your bedroom. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. You could be redeemed, saved by the blood of Jesus, washed of your sin, and not be able to muster up enough faith to say, I'm sorry to somebody. Because you feel like you're going to be out of control. So the faith to stay step out of the boat is not enough faith to get you down the journey. That's why we have to strengthen ourselves. That's why we have to strengthen ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. Oh, wait a second. He's writing this to believers. Yeah, he's writing this to believers. They stepped out of the boat. Now they're on the journey. And he's saying, listen, throw off those things that are going to scare you halfway. Throw off those things that are going to derail you halfway. Throw off those things that are going to sink you halfway. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing them on Jesus. I'm not controlled, but he is. I'm not controlled, but he is. I'm not controlled, but he is. I know the wind was blowing. It was blowing when I got out of the boat. I'm not controlled, but he is. He says, fix your eyes on him. He will strengthen your faith. Okay, he's not sinking. He's not sinking. He's not sinking. But what happens is we get out of control. We start looking around like, I can't stop this. I can't stop this. Ah! And then we start to sink. Then we start to sink. It's called sharpening your axe in the middle. You're more effective. We got to strengthen our faith even when we're outside the boat. Here's the part that Peter gets in trouble for. And I think it's a little um, excessive to criticize Peter in this moment. I've heard tons of sermons preached about how he took his eyes off Jesus. And how that was bad and all that stuff. I'm actually glad he did. Because now I've got somebody to relate to. (laughs) Aren't you glad that the Bible isn't full of people who just fixed their eyes on Jesus and never made a mistake? Like, well, just fixed his eyes on Jesus. Perfect after that. And here we are like, I'm cross-eyed, man. I can't fix my eyes on Jesus. I can't even see straight. And there's times in your life where you feel that way. There's times in your life where you feel like, I feel like I'm sinking and Jesus is standing here watching me. And so fortunately, we have humans in scripture that didn't get it right all the time 
He still got out of the boat. He still asked the question. He's still the only other guy walking on water. Sit around a campfire with Peter and try to one-up that. He's sitting around there like, oh, man, I was with Jesus when he did this, when he did that. It was amazing. Peter's like, I still walked on water, man. I just hate to say it again. But I'm that guy, right? I'm the guy that walked on water. I'm the guy that walked on water. Yeah, but you fell. Yeah, but you started to sink. Yeah, yeah. But I walked farther than you ever did. I walked farther. So, so this becomes a classification of, of people we take advice from. Now listen to me. Listen to me. When you begin to sink in the middle, and the likelihood is you will get that feeling sooner or later. You had enough faith to step out. You're walking towards him, but then something in the middle happens and it kind of throws you off kilter. There will be people around you that, are, that will be tempted to say things like this. You should have never gotten out of the boat. Man, I hope we're not a church like that. Because that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say you should have never gotten out of the boat. But you know how it goes. You step out, do something in faith, and then you're around your family. They're like, why are you giving that much money away? Like, Psh, don't talk to me about giving money away. I've been giving you money for years. Right? That's what you need to say. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm just giving it to a different person who will use it better. <laughs> All kinds of advice how to make Thanksgiving easier here. Watch. You will be around people who will tell you things like, you should have never tried that. You should have never done it. That was impetuous. We hear that about Peter all the time. That was, that was, that was a lame brain way to do something. Why would you do anything like that? Why would you call that faith? And, and here's the issue. Jesus never did that. We turn you of little faith into you of little faith. I don't think it was anything like that. I think he reached down immediately, by the way, when Peter asked, reaches down and he says, Peter, man, what are you, what are you upset about? Have more faith than that, bro. I would never let you sink. So be careful about the people back in the boat. None of them got out. None of them got out. And so don't let people who've never exercised faith critique yours. It could be family members. It could be people at work who've never exercised faith. Now they're going to critique yours. I say, oh, that was a dumb thing to do. No, it wasn't. It was a godly thing to do. And just because I'm struggling a little bit in the middle doesn't mean it wasn't God at the beginning. So we always go back to the beginning. We go, oh, did he ask me to actually step out? Oh, did he ask me to actually do that? Oh, was that really him? Could you imagine Peter walking out there going, dude, I guess it was a ghost. This thing ends beautifully. I want the band come up. I want you to hear this. Men, listen to me really quick. Because men have pride issues, right? I know ladies do, but it's like built in our DNA. Pride. And we will get out of the boat, start walking toward Jesus, and sink to the waters over your head, and you need a snorkel. And you will not cry out for help. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm far, right? 
I'm fine. Whole world's collapsing down around you because you're out of control. I'm fine. You know what I thank God for? As tough as Peter was, you got to remember, this is a guy trying to chop a guy's head off when they're arresting Jesus. Not a sissy. As tough as Peter was, he said, save me, Lord. Save me. I realize I'm out over my head and I took my eyes off of you. I realize that this is a little more difficult in the middle than it was at the beginning. I realize, I realize that I wasn't totally prepared to be out here. I realize, but I'm out here and I just need you to save me. I just need you to save me. And it says he immediately cried out to God, Lord, save me. The same gracious Savior that had encouraged him to come out of the boat, reached down and grabbed him by the hand, pulled him up. He said, come on, Peter. Come on, Peter. I'll never let you drown. The Bible says they got back in the boat and everybody was amazed. I think the world is going to be amazed by this. Stand to your feet. Here's a twist on the story. They're going to be excited that you stepped out of the boat. They're going to be excited that you walked towards Jesus. But the exciting thing is that you can be delivered in the middle. That's the exciting thing. Because we oftentimes fill up our churches with people who think I've got to be, like, I've got to get it right from here on out. I've got to get it right from here on out. All everybody's looking, I've got to get it right from here on out. But we serve a God that will save you in the middle. We serve a God that you can step out, start a relationship with Christ, step out, make another step, make another step, make another step, and then fail. That same Jesus that saved you back there is the one that will reach out and grab you in the middle. He's the one that will keep reaching out and grabbing you, reaching out and grab you, reaching out and grab you. And the, when the, the world doesn't want to look in and see perfect people, they want to look in and see a perfect Savior. Amen? One with, with a track record of 100% saves. Nobody's ever drowned around me. Nope, I just keep snatching them out. Just keep snatching them out. They stepped out of the boat. They were trying. They walked a few, they took a few, a few steps and, and they made it a little ways, but it got a little difficult, but that's fine. I got them. That's fine. I got them. That's fine. I got you. I got you. It's fine. It's fine. I got you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I can calm all this stuff down. Don't be afraid. I got you. And when the world looks in and sees grace and mercy operating in our lives, us not being too prideful to ask, us not being too prideful to say, God, I need help. When they look in and see a Savior continuing to redeem us, continuing to save us, then it's a believable thing. If they look in and everybody acts perfect, they're never going to believe it. But if they look in and see him rescuing us over and over and over again, it's a grace they can understand. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we need your grace today. Lord, we need, your, we need to strengthen our faith, God, for the journey, for the walk in the middle. Lord, when it becomes difficult, we need to, you to strengthen our faith today, Lord. And then we need to operate with the confidence that you will save us. You'll rescue us. You'll redeem us. You'll snatch us up every time. Lord, we thank you for it. We pray this week, God, that you would strengthen us in our faith. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and glory one more time?